Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Recon Sports Podcast. I am your host, I'm the Big Recon. Today is Sunday, August the 28th, 2022. Uh, and I want to apologize first. I switched from StreamYard to Restream and I can't figure out how to get everything uploaded. So a couple of the live episodes, including the Big Recon Baseball Show with Alex, has not been set into the actual just audio format. So I'm going to get that worked on. Jim, uh, JC Bluno, my co-host on the uh, Wise Guy Show, actually knows how to do that. He's got to read fresh my memory. That's all screwy. Anyways, so I come to you today with a couple of house cleaning things at first. Housekeeping things first. House cleaning. Wow. Tell it's a Sunday. So, first things first. Two days ago, I've celebrated my 11th wedding anniversary. So, happy anniversary, honey. Uh, as I've said, since we started this little venture a few years ago, uh, you're the driving force behind it because you keep me on task, number one. And number two, you let me ramble at times about the same stuff I'm talking about on here to keep myself sharp. So I appreciate everything. I love you very much. Uh, and thank you for helping me start this. Speaking of starting this, just a week and a half or so ago, we hit four years of the Big Recon on Sports podcast. Um, having said that, some highlights over the first four years. I've been going back and listening to some of the old shows, and I see some of the way things have gotten better, and I see the way some of the way things have gotten, well, just kind of stay the same. Uh, to me personally, some of my highlights, episode 5, where I chronicled the career of David Wright, uh, and it really gave me pause because now I know how long the captain hasn't been a part of the, uh, the Mets. Uh, my live event from Ohio State just a few short weeks later uh, with my buddy Nick, when the next day we went to see the late Dwayne Haskins put up big numbers against Tulane uh, in my first visit to the Horseshoe. Uh, my first episode's a highlight because I called and LeBron was leaving for the Lakers. And I haven't watched Space Jam 2 yet, going to be very honest. But it's been a fun four years, and I can't wait for the next one. Um, since then, we've grown to not just the regular Big Recon podcast, we've grown to the Big Recon Baseball Show, where I've talked to Alex and Tone and Willie from Shakeback Media, of course Alex from Row 7, Tone from Cardboard and Cracker Jacks, and now basically full-time Bucketeers, everything he does. Um, and of course, we've grown it to the Wise Guy Sports Show, which is the newest iteration of this, and maybe the most fun, as Jim and I, who have been friends since the mid-90s, uh, yeah, that's a long time ago. You can say it. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing that show. We have our one-year anniversary of the big, uh, the Wise Guys show coming up, and that's going to be some extravaganza. Speaking of Jim, let me get this out of the way. Unless something changes, Friday Night Live on the Big Recon YouTube page, and then the, fir- the premiere episode of Big Recon on Twitch will be Friday night as we preview. It's here. It's college football. Sa- next Saturday... Six days from today, Ohio State opens the 2022 season against two alumni in Marcus Freeman and James Laurinaitis. Notre Dame, Ohio State, National Game of the Week, Saturday night from the Horseshoe on ABC. Um, Jim and I will also get into the new Big Ten media deal in a little bit more depth than we did before. But we're going to preview this game. So obviously we know who he's pulling for in this game because he, he hates the Buckeyes. So I'm going to jump into the Buckeyes as my first topic today. As I only got two. Um, because I refuse to talk about one. I, I've said this before. I will not do a Cleveland Brown centric episode. Having said that, these are my comments on what is going on so far. It's too light. He shouldn't be allowed to play. That's just me. 
So anyways, on to Ohio State. It may be the most anticipated Ohio State season since Urban Meyer's first year. But anticipated for different reasons. We knew Urban was going to turn the program around. We didn't know it was going to be a 24-game winning streak to start the Urban Meyer tenure. But now Ryan Day has maybe the most loaded roster in college football. I took pause before I did this episode for two reasons. One, I was very tired during the week. I'm older. I was wiped out. But two, Holly Rowe went to Buckeye camp. Of course, Holly Rowe, the cancer survivor, college football genius at ESPN, who I don't like at all. She went to Buckeye camp last week. She was sitting in her car on an extremely hot day in Columbus and was eating fruit off a skewer, which I thought was hysterical. And she said, and I quote, this team is going to win a national title. And she never brought up the offense. That is the truly scary part about this. Because if she's right, the Big Ten is in trouble. Team up north is in trouble. And most importantly, Nick Saban's in trouble. From what she had said, it seems like, according to her report, and again, this was in her car, on her phone, doing a video. They've gotten back to Ohio State football the last five to ten years. Quality secondary, good linebacker play, not elite. Good to better than most defensive line and ability to rush the passer. So how'd they get there from the debacle that was 2021? Very simple. JT Tuolele and Jack Sawyer have come into their own as the rush ends on this package. Remember, this is a package that they had, the Rushman package, which I think Jim Knowles is going to use a variation of. That included names like Joey and Nick Bosa, Chase Young, guys who all went in the top five in the draft. Are Jack Sawyer and Tuolele that, those guys? It's entirely possible. But let's see what they do moving forward. I like the fact that Jim Knowles had guys from Oklahoma State transfer to Ohio State in his first year that know his defense. Let's be very honest. Jim Knowles took teams of three and four stars to a top 15 defense at Oklahoma State, which is almost unheard of in the Big 12. Now he's got four and five stars in a conference where you have to be able to play solid defense. I said it at the end of last year. I will say it again today. If Ohio State had a solid defense, no one beats them last year. Not with that offense. So let's go to the offensive side of the ball. And again, this is an abbreviated preview because most of this episode is going to be about the Mets. Um, let's talk about that side of the ball. And let's start with what they lost. The top two wide receivers taken in the draft. Oh, by the way, the third wide receiver taken in the draft was a guy who transferred from Ohio State to Alabama. The three wide receivers who went first in the draft were Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jamison Williams. Three guys who two years ago were in the Ohio State wide receiver room. Brian Hartline, who was one of my all-time favorites in Columbus, is just a recruiting animal. Animal. So let's go to what he's got now. So you lose those things. How do you replace that? Jackson Smith and Jigba might be the best wide receiver in the country. You have a Hall of Famers kid in Marvin Harrison Jr. You have Emeka Obuka. Um, who was the number one wide receiver in his class. Cade Stover no longer has to play linebacker. He is back on, at tight end and running routes 
like Luke Farrell and like tight ends of the past from Ohio State. But the biggest thing here is this. Not only is C.J. Stroud back, and he is going to be, in my opinion, he's a top quarterback in the draft. If he decides to go, you don't know. C.J. might pull a, uh, a Chris Olave and stay for his fourth year. Not only is he the top quarterback in the draft, but according to Pro Football Focus, they have the best offensive line in the country. Oh, wait. Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are back, too. The home run hitters are back. This is as loaded an offense as I've ever seen in Columbus. And I had a front row seat to the Dwayne Haskins offense that included a young Chris Olave. But J.K. Dobbins, K.J. Hill, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, as my cat tries to knock down the light. Luna, that's your tail in my show here, honey. Ah, live television. Sorry about that. Then she knocked the camera off the thing. All right, so back to what I was saying. This is loaded an offense as we have ever seen at this school. The school that produced an offense that included guys like Devin Smith and Ezekiel Elliott and those boys who won a national title, this offense might be better. This offensive line is elite. Let's see what happens. I like where they're going to be. I will give my prediction for the season during the prediction show next Friday, September the 2nd, going into Labor Day weekend with Jim, and I will tell you what I think this team is going to do. You know what? I'll save my se- I'll do my season prediction now. I'll do my Notre Dame prediction then. If they win on September 3rd, they will run the table. I'm not even talking about in the big time. I'm talking about they will run the table. I'm going to look up real quick what their schedule is, and I'm going to break it down that way for you. The big test out of the gate is definitely Notre Dame. Uh, then they play the Red Wolves of Arkansas State. I don't know why. Your in-state game against Toledo on the 17th of September, and then they start the gauntlet. Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan State, three weeks in a row. Bye week, and then Iowa, Penn State, Northwestern on the 5th of November, Indiana on the 12th, Maryland on the 19th, the big one on the 26th, and of course the Big Ten Championship this year is on December the 3rd. Um... I don't see them losing. And they're probably going to play Wisconsin a second time or Iowa a second time or Northwestern a second time in the Big Ten Championship game on December 3rd. This is going to be a great season in Buckeye Nation. I know Jim is going to listen to this and tell me I'm crazy and he's going to tell me I'm full of it. But you know what? I'd rather be full of it and be right than not be full of it and play into what the media is say- some of the media is saying and say they're going to lose. I don't see how they're going to lose. They lost the big game last year because it was the perfect storm for the team up north to beat them. Bad Buckeye defense, elite pass rush, terrible weather so they couldn't throw the, sling the ball around the yard. By the way, Harbaugh still hasn't recruited a top five corner yet. 
Charles Woodson ain't coming out of the tunnel, kids. And if you stop Jackson Smith and Jigba, you have a Mecca Ibuka, you have Marvin Harrison Jr. They're going to be tough to beat. And speaking of tough to beat, let's talk about the 82-win, first place by three games, New York Mets. When we came into this season, I did a little mini Mets preview. I didn't think I'd be doing a preview to where they would spend the majority of their season without one half of their ace combo of DeGrom and Scherzer. Jacob DeGrom did not make his major league debut this year until the trade deadline of August 2nd. Since then, he has been lights out. Max Scherzer missed seven weeks with an oblique injury. He's been as good as advertised. Cookie Carrasco is out now. Before that, he was phenomenal. Taiwan Walker's been good. But the truly scary thing for the Mets right now is this. David Peterson pitched phenomenal last night. And yes, it's the Colorado Rockies. I get it. He had a bad outing last Saturday against the Phillies. Well, not so much bad, but he could not keep his pitch count down. Six shutout innings last night. He looked pretty good. Um, Tyler McGill is almost ready. And he has been informed he will go directly into the bullpen. This is Tyler McGill who was stepping in for Jacob DeGrom and was absolutely amazing. Who started the combined no-hitter. And pitched five or six shutout, five shutout innings that night. You had Tyler McGill to that bullpen. With Trevor Williams as the long men, this is a very, very good bullpen. Uh, I have been reading on social media people taking shots. Michael Gibbons is the only bullpen guy they got. He's terrible. I mean, he's had two bad innings. Outside of that, he's gotten some pretty decent size outs. His first start, his first appearance, he just couldn't get out of that inning. And it happens. The other night against Colorado when they had the walk-off win on Pete Alonzo's record-setting walk-off hit. I didn't know anybody driving more runs to win games than Keith Hernandez, and this dude's doing it already. Um... He threw a 3-2 fastball, and he dotted the eye in the outside corner. The guy hit it to right center. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He made his pitch. The guy hit a good pitcher's pitch. Tip your hat. Get your offense to pick you up off the dirt. They did. So here's what's been going on the last few weeks in Metsland. Rough series against Atlanta. Dropping three out of four. Losing the first series in divisional play this year. But then they go to Philly for four more in eight games in seven days. And they take three out of four. The final one being just the dagger in the heart of the Philly fans. When the Mets went down 4 nothing, tied it at four, went down 7-4, to four, tied it at seven. Gene Segura hits an emotional home run in the eighth inning to where he's throwing his helmet, losing his mind. And Mark Canna hits a two-run shot in the, in the top of the ninth. Brandon Nimmo adds a home run in the ninth inning as well, and the Mets win that game 10-9 to take three out of four from Philadelphia, who would look like they had taken a big jump toward helping Atlanta get into first place. The lead was down to a half a game at one point. It is now at three after Atlanta couldn't hold off the Cardinals last night, and, the, and they lost 6-5 to five in St. Louis. The Mets finish a sweep of the Rockies today, and the Cardinals can win the series in St. Louis. You're talking we're going to start the easiest part of the Mets' schedule with a four-game lead in the division. 
Here is what the Mets schedule looks like over the final month of the season. Now you kind of go from the fire into the back into the fire this week because you get the Dodgers at home for three starting on Tuesday night. Um, it's pitching today. I think Taiwan Walker goes today or Max goes today. One of the two. Um, which means that yeah, Max goes today. Which means the Dodgers are going to see Taiwan Walker, Jacob Degrom, and Chris Bassett in that order. Uh, the next three nights, two days and three, and two nights and one day in New York. Then the schedule really gets fun. Friday starts a three-game series with the Nationals. The following Monday on Labor Day, the Mets are in Pittsburgh for three, then in Miami for three, home for the Cubs for three, home for Pittsburgh for four, at Milwaukee for three, at Oakland for three, two at home against Miami, and September 30th, Starts the starts the final series of the year in Atlanta. Three games down there. And then the 3rd, 4th, and 5th of October, the New York Mets finish their season against the Washington Nationals at home. The Mets have the easiest schedule in baseball going forward. If you can win every single series in September, sweep some of them, get two out of three for most of them, three out of four in the four-game series... The Mets are going to win not only 100 games, they're going to win the NL East. And they're going to be the two seed because the Dodgers are scary. They lost Walker Buehler. They're still going to be the one seed in the playoffs. I think we're trending toward a Dodgers-Mets LCS where you're going to see games like Kershaw, Scherzer, uh, Gonsolin, and DeGrom. It's going to be crazy. The things I love most about this team is that it's somebody different every night. Pete Alonso is going to set the is having an MVP caliber season. If Goldschmidt wasn't doing what he was doing in St. Louis, Pete would be the odds-on favorite to win the National League MVP. He's been outstanding. Jeff McNeil is gunning for a batting title. Francisco Lindor has already set the record for RBIs in a single season by a Mets shortstop, and he's going to set the record for home runs without breaking a sweat. Brett Beatty is up from the minor leagues, and he has been he's had his struggles. But I like the fact that, one, the moments don't seem too big for him, and two, he's hitting the ball hard. And he's playing good defense, which was the knock. They get Eduardo Escobar back last night. He plays third base. It seems like it's going to be Escobar against lefties and Beatty against righties, which is great. Mark Canna has turned into this generation's Keith Hernandez with all the clutch hits he's getting. Brandon Nimmo continues to be an on-base machine at the top of the lineup, and Starling Marte, very quietly, is having one of the best seasons of his career. Not stolen base-wise because he's still nursing the groin injury, but he's hitting the cover off the ball. He's getting timely hits when they need them, and he's playing great defense in right field. The bullpen is my concern. Now, having said that, let me go back to the trade deadline. And all the Met fans complaining, oh, they didn't get anything. The question, ladies and gentlemen, is this. What did these teams want in return? Because the Mets are in a precarious situation. Everyone hates their owner. Hates him. Why? Because he's willing to spend money to make the New York Mets a champion year after year after year. He's already proven that with the Francisco Lindor contract, the money to Jacob deGrom, and the spending they did in this offseason. But there is not a single dime that was spent in the offseason that was spent maliciously. Not maliciously, that's the wrong word. Spent stupidly. 
every player is a is a character player, and every player knows how to win. Let's look at who they brought in. They brought in Escobar. They brought in Marte. They brought in Canna. They brought in Chris Bassett, who they will re-sign. They brought in Max Scherzer, who's got two more years on his deal. Steve Cohen's came out and said, listen, we love Jake. We will do everything to keep him. Decision is his. I think he's gonna, I, the Mets payroll is going to be stupid next year. But it doesn't have to be. Which brings me to the beginning of next week and the expansion of rosters as of September 1st. The Mets have a tough call to make because they have guys coming off the injured list. You're going to get Tyler McGill back. You've got Escobar back. You're going to get Luis Guillorme back. So how do you play with the roster? If I was Buck Showalter and Billy Epler and Sandy Alderson, this is how I would do it. I would bring up an arm until McGill is ready and then the arm goes back to the minors. And as much as I was against it and then for it and now him and Han about it, I am definitely for it. Francisco Alvarez needs to be in the big leagues come September 1st. The Mets at catcher have two things. One, they have two very good receivers in Tomas Nito and, J- and uh, James McCann who are great on defense, which is something the Mets haven't had behind the plate for a few years. They don't have an offensive effect. Not effect. Um, they don't have an offensive impact at catcher. Now again, Mets fans have been spoiled. With especially what I'm going to go into about yesterday, which was awesome. But this is a Mets franchise that has had two Hall of Famers suit up with the tools of ignorance behind the dish in Gary Carter and Mike Piazza. They're saying Alvarez could be 80% of Mike Piazza. Which means, offensively, He'll hit 340 home runs. If he's 80% of Mike Piazza. Mike Piazza hit over 400. Pretty good. He struggled a little bit in the minor league, in AAA. But a lot of guys that go to AAA get bored. Matt Harvey, before he came up, when he was in Buffalo, was terrible. It's terrible. He set a rookie record for strikeouts in his first game against the Diamondbacks at 12. He was phenomenal that night. He was phenomenal his first full season. He had the Tommy John. He came back in 2015, and he was the dark knight. Injuries and stupidity have plagued him since, but he was the man. You don't know that won't happen to Alvarez. Beatty was killing the ball at AAA, and he's hitting below 200 right now. Not his fault. He's faced some really tough pitching when you go to Atlanta for your first series, but he's done the job. I say bring the kid up. And if you're not going to bring him up because you're worried, bring up Mark Vientos to be a bat off the bench. He has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you got to see if he can play somewhere besides third base because I think Beatty is your third baseman of the future. The pitching. Yes, the bullpen is where they needed the, the attention. But you again, you have to ask yourself, what did these teams want in, in return? Look what the Giants got for Darren Ruff. They knew they needed a guy who hit left-handed pitching. Ruff has been great. A great team with Vogelback to DH. But they had to go J.D. Davis and 
three minor leaguers for Darren Ruff because no one wants to do business with Steve Cohen. They don't want to make the rich richer. These teams know that come this offseason, he's going. He's got a lot of free agents of his own to sign, but then he's going to have a lot of room in the payroll to make other changes. And when you have Edwin Diaz at the back end, who's been great, Adovino's been good, Trevor May is back and rounding back into form, Seth Lugo is starting to be Seth Lugo again. Joely Rodriguez has been a pretty big surprise. I wasn't a huge fan of that move. I liked Castro, but he's been pretty good. Trevor Williams has been the perfect long relief spot starter you've needed. Uh, other guys who have pitched in there, Thomas Sapuki was pretty good before he was let go. Nagosik has been really good. Uh, I would have loved for them to keep the kid they sent to Pittsburgh for Vogelback. Uh, he would have been great to have around. But you're adding Tyler McGill to that bullpen. Come the postseason, you will probably add Tyler McGill and David Peterson to that bullpen. That's a heck of a bullpen to have. So let's talk about starters. Um, yeah, DeGrom is scary. Like, legit scary. He has He's only had his best stuff in one start, and that was against Atlanta, when he went five and two-thirds of perfect baseball. Um, then giving up a walk and a two-run homer to Dansby Swanson when the Mets won four out of five against Atlanta at City Field last month. So... Scherzer has been good. DeGrom has been scary. I mean, just scary. Chris Bassett has pitched very well. Getting into the eighth inning a couple of nights ago um, before the Mets gave up the lead. Cookie should be back before the end of the season so you can tune him up for the playoffs. Let's get this out of the way. The Mets are going to the postseason whether they win the division or not. You want them to get the two seed to rest as they are one of, the old, one of if not the oldest roster in the game right now. So you want them to get the rest. You want to have a full rested Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer for a five-game series against whoever you play. If it ended today, the Mets would be the two-seed and would have the bye in the first round. They would play the highest remaining seed. So it's the Dodgers and Mets at one and two. The three-seed would be the Cardinals. The four seed would be Atlanta. The five seed would be Philadelphia. And the six seed is either going to be San Diego or Milwaukee. So let's say it's Milwaukee or San Diego. So the Braves would play San Diego. Oh, I'm sorry. The Cardinals would play San Diego. The Braves would play the Phillies. The highest remaining seed plays the Mets. The lowest remaining seed plays the Dodgers. Plays out the way I think it will. The Cardinals will beat the Padres and will get the Mets. The Braves will beat the Phillies and get the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers get lose to the uh, beat the Braves. The Mets beat the Cardinals, and then you get a Mets Dodgers LCS uh, with a shot at the World Series on the line. That's not my official prediction. I want to see how the brackets play out. There will be a big weekend baseball show previewing the 2022 playoffs come October. So let's talk about going forward. They have to finish at least. In order to win this division, I think the Mets, starting with today, so they have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 16, 
I think I counted that wrong. So today, three against the Dodgers is four, seven, ten, thirteen, sixteen, twenty, twenty-three, twenty-six, twenty-eight. They have thirty-four games left. The Mets have to go a minimum of twenty-one and thirteen down the stretch in order to win this division. Because I don't think Atlanta's schedule is much harder. Plus, you got three games against Atlanta. You have to take two out of three in that series. Unless the division's over. Like, if Atlanta falls on their face for whatever reason and the Mets just go on a run, whatever. You have to win two out of three there because you cannot go into a series against a spoiler like the Nationals and have them try and ruin your season. 21 and 13 down the stretch. I prefer 25 and 9, but I'll take 21 and, uh, you know what, 22 and 12. Go 10 games over 500. 22 wins from here is 104. That's a pretty good season. So we're going to wrap today's episode with talk about yesterday. It was the first old-timers game since 1994. But this was the first old-timers game that Met fans embraced. And truly embraced. When Steve Cohen took over, he took to Twitter and he said, What do you guys want to see? The black jerseys came back last year. They now wear them every Friday night at home. But the other clamoring was for old-timers day. And I sat here last night and I watched and I saw guys who played tonight. I saw Jay Hook, who was the first winning pitcher in Mets history in 1962. Um, uh, you saw guys like John Stearns, who unfortunately is in failing health, um, who not only was an all-star for the Mets, but a coach on the 2000 uh, League Championship team. But then you saw the guys we saw all the time. You saw Cleon Jones. You saw Ron Swoboda. Mike Piazza. You saw John Franco. Al Leiter. Then you saw some guys you hadn't seen in a long time. Kevin Elster, Todd Hundley, Todd Pratt. Um, my personal favorite of the whole thing, Turk Wendell. Todd Zeal. The great thing about Zeal and Wendell, and Wendell is they're still really good friends. So Turk, because guys that were just tired because they're older, ends up playing third base. Zeal hits a pop-up and he's mic'd up and he yells to Turk, Don't you dare! Because Turk was trying to catch a pop-up that Zeal hit. So Gary Cohen asks him, and he goes, so what were you going to do? He goes, I would have punched him. And Todd Bratt's behind the disco. He goes, Bratt's calling cutters. It's, they had a great time. Pedro Martinez was there and was just as crazy as he ever was. But the truly great moment yesterday wasn't anything that happened during the game, and it wasn't during introductions and what the fans thought. Oh, by the way, the loudest ovation yesterday was for Bartolo Colon. No, the greatest moment is when the Mets pulled a surprise and forever retired number 24, worn by Willie Mays, in 1972 and 1973 in his two years in New York. When Joan Payson, who was the first, man, first owner of the Mets, brought Willie Mays home to New York after the Dodgers left because she was a minority owner of the Dodgers, or the Giants, excuse me. Blasphemy, I'm going to get screamed at. Um, when the Dodgers and Giants left after the 57 season, um... Joan Payson swore she would bring Willie Mays home and did so in 1972. He played his last year and a half with the Mets, culminating in a trip to the 1973 World Series against the Oakland Athletics. Um, she promised him they would retire his number. Mrs. Payson passed away before the Mets would do that. And no offense to Willie Mays, but the first number retired by the Mets needed to be 41. Seaver was the franchise. Willie Mays was a New York baseball icon, but not a Mets baseball icon. 
But yesterday the Mets dropped the mic. And the Alumni Association, headed by Jay Horowitz, and the ownership group, the owners headed by Steve and Alex Cohen, decided to make good on Mrs. Payson's promise and unveiled that number 24 will hang in the rafters forever and will never be worn by another New York Met again. Now think about the baseball icons that now hang in the rafters at City Field. All but one of them are Hall of Famers. With the induction of Gil Hodges this summer, Casey Stengel, Tom Seaver, Mike Piazza, Kuzman should be too. Uh, Kuzman's 36. The one I think was way overdue and Keith Hernandez is 17. Now 24. Five needs to be next. No disrespect to Doc or Daryl or Kid. Five needs to be next. So thank you everybody for listening. Um, as always, Big Recon can be found on YouTube, Big Recon on Sports, Facebook, Big Recon on Sports, Twitter at Big Recon on Sport, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Pocket Cash, Radio Public, Spotify, and Ask Alexa. Play Big Recon on Sports. And we're going to be on Twitch. i got to get the account set up. We're going to do the live hit next on Friday night with Jim and I. It will be a Big Recon show because he refuses to let Ohio State talk on the, on the Wise Guys show, which I don't blame him. If I hated him, I would too. Have a great week, everybody. I'll see you next week. And again, thank you for four awesome years. And here's to a lot more. Take care, guys.